0: The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to the Liberty Alert with Gregory Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberties here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, old biblical principles for a robust, public Christian life. And now your host... Dr. Gregory Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the Liberty Alert all across the country. I'm Gregory Seltz, and every week we try to cut through the noise and cut through the chaos and bring you the issues, especially the issues that concern people of faith, and talk about how we can respond faithfully from God's two-kingdom perspective. To be a blessing in our culture, even as we share the good news of the gospel as well. And in the news, it's all about Ukraine right now, and you know the images are horrific. Obviously, um, tyranny is on the move, and people are fighting for their freedom, even uh, giving their very lives for their freedom. And and that's what we want to talk about today with our special guest, who's coming up in just a minute. But one of the things I want to remind you, you know, we're not talk. Uh, we don't really have a foreign policy perspective. That's not the role of the Liberty Alert, because we stand for religious liberty, the sanctity of life. We defend the institution of marriage and educational freedom here in the states. And so we do not have a foreign policy division. But while we don't have that, I think the Ukrainian situation does help us, though, because It puts on display the horrors of communism, the horrors of socialism, and it challenges us to a proper view of liberty and a proper exercise of liberty and a proper appreciation of it as well. So today we are privileged again to have on our program, Peter Roskin, former congressman of Illinois, former majority whip. He has some firsthand knowledge of something that is very much in the news every day, and that's Ukraine. He was an election observer in 2014, and he had an op-ed just printed in the Chicago Tribune that I think is, is something we all need to read. And he was talking about the Ukrainians' commitment to sovereignty. Peter, it's great to have you on the program today thanks greg great to be with you thanks for inviting me well listen now you know we're we're a first amendment organization in america so generally you know what we're about is religious liberty sanctity of life defending the institution of marriage and educational freedom in our borders but the reason i wanted to talk to you is because in your op-ed, you were talking about their commitment to, to sovereignty, their their patriotism, if you will. And then I read an article came out just about the same time about a lot of Americans. If we were invaded, we, we wouldn't stay to fight. And so that I want to get to that. But let's start with the op-ed and, and talk through the context of what's going on there, because you saw people who yearned to be free.
1: It was amazing to me. So just to set the table, it's 2014, and I was invited to serve as an election observer in Ukraine. And this is a fairly common thing with emerging democracies. And the idea was to have the world come in and observe the election procedures and give it an imprimatur of approval to say, yes, this was done in the proper format. And so people from all over the world were there. I was part of a Ukrainian or an American delegation, but there were Canadians and, and other European countries. And I was assigned to a city called Chernigov. Now Chernigov is north uh, in the country, and okay. it's it's about 50 miles from the Russian border, just a couple of weeks ago it was bombed heavily by the Russians in this current war. And, um, on the way out of town, Greg, we, we stopped at a place called the Bekibnia forest. Now what's interesting about this was it was a quiet sort of forest off the, off the roadway and some memorials and so forth, but I really didn't know what I was getting into when we, when we were out there and there was a, there was a solemnness to it and something was, you could just tell something significant had happened here. Well, come to learn that this is a place where they estimate 200,000 people were secretly buried and these were people who were killed by Stalin in the 20s, 30s and 40s. So they were tried and arrested and shot in the back of the head and taken out and dumped here. And the Soviet Union for years, literally for decades, denied any involvement in this thing, of course. And then the well the overwhelming evidence was just too much. And so finally, in the 80s, they acknowledged this crime. But that was sort of just a touch point, just to just to walk through. Then the next day, I'm, I'm up in Chernigov, this northern city, and we're out in the countryside, a little bit, a little bit out of town in a schoolhouse where they're voting. And as an election observer, you go in and you're looking around and you're just trying to determine if things are Running according to procedure and so forth. And it, it looked good and, and all normal. And I saw these two old Ukrainian women walking up the stairs. And there was sort of a labored way about their walking. And they had traditional dress and they had a, a scarves around their head, like right out of the movie set practically. And up there were walking. And their their gait was kind of difficult. And I thought like their ankles were sort of swollen. You can just completely picture this. Right. <laughs> and in their walking, and I'm I didn't have an opportunity to interact with them because of the language barrier. And so I just began to guess and I was just completely guessing. And I thought to myself, I wonder what these two women have witnessed in history. Mm-hmm. And I sort of guessed and I thought, well, I they look like my mom's age. So they're born, let's say 1930. Wow! If they were born in 1930, they were born into the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic and all all of the tyranny that 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 meant. Now, you and I, we're at the same vintage. We are Cold War era children. You know what I mean? The the Berlin Wall went up when, when we were when we were born, basically. And right around then, 1961. Right. And so they were born into the Soviet Socialist Republic. They, they also would have survived what's known as the Holodomor, which is the, the, the man-made famine that Stalin foisted on the Ukrainians, right. starving millions of Ukrainians. They survived Russian invasion, or German invasion. They survived the uh, reassertion of communist authority. They survived independence. They survived the Chernobyl disaster, they survived the Orange Revolution, incoming from the East in terms of the Donbass and Crimean annexation. And these two women showed up. And it as I began to think about it, it was mind-blowing for me and it was so encouraging. Why was it encouraging? I'll tell you why. It's because they weren't, they weren't naive. You know what I mean? These were not, these were people who had seen things. And without question, there they had suffered, but they were showing up to vote. And and it was as if they were witnesses to history and their presence, in my estimation, just deserved so much respect. And and there was this matter of factness about them that Mm -hmm. was just like, yep, we're here. We're going to vote. And, and they communicated so much to me just with their presence, Greg. They didn't have to say a word.
0: Well, and, you know, for me, that that's what I loved about your op-ed is because they knew even the basics of liberty, what they were worth fighting for, what they were worth dragging their bodies, if you will, to vote, what that was all about. And that's what troubles me a little bit with with the sense that we have over here because, you know, to me, we have incredible liberties here in America that still resound to the whole world. We have people can't wait to get here. I know people from all other parts of the world that just say, man, I can't wait to get to America. And yet I read that Americans, if we were invaded, wouldn't, not only wouldn't we vote if we got ticked off, maybe from a microaggression or something, but we, if we were invaded, we'd, we'd leave. And I'm like, how, what's the disconnect? Because I'm hearing now a lot of support Ukraine, support Ukraine, support Ukraine. But these are from some of the people who actually think that our liberties here are not to be cherished. It doesn't that kind of blow back on us a little bit and, and show us that maybe we've got to get our house in order.
1: Yeah, it sure does. And you know, maybe what can come out of this is an object lesson for americans the type of americans that you're describing and they're seeing you know w- what what the ukrainians are doing and how tenacious they are and how they're fighting right and they're they're hopefully will be an awakening i take your point in terms of the inconsistency and i think part of the challenge right is that there's so many americans that think that the natural you know or they think that the the liberties that you've described a minute right. ago They think that's normal, right? It's not normal.
0: It's It's a complete
1: aberration of history. Correct. History is filled with miserable tyranny and difficulty and, and oppression. And yet you and I find ourselves in this country that is a complete outlier historically. And and let me just say one more
0: point before I get to your second op-ed, which is how do we then look forward, uh, you know, the the windshield versus the rearview mirror, because that was another great way to, to, to kind of move this discussion forward. But it also troubles me, like you just described about Stalin, you described about the killing fields, and I didn't really know that history until I read what you had written. And and yet, again, like I said, so many of our young people today, they're they're talking about this philosophy called socialism or, or communism and how beautiful it is. Well, it killed 100 million people last century. And so when you talk about this thing. I, where do they get this notion that it's going to be kinder and gentler than this? The Ukrainians are demonstrating to us what it's like to fight that thing back into, you know, into its box. Yeah,
1: that's right, and it's it's so insidious and it's so uh, pervasive and pernicious. I had a discussion one time with Larry arn the president of Hillsdale College, and I. I asked him, what book should I be reading? And he turned me on to a book that I'm going to commend to you. It's called Darkness at Noon. It's a famous novel hmm. written um, about the Stalin show trials. and it 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 answers this question: Why would anybody um surrender their life for something that they knew was a lie? Even though um, he, he, and, and it wasn't to sacrifice for somebody else, it's a really interesting question about the dark-heartedness and the dark nature of communism and, wow. and where it ends. It's called Darkness at Noon. Okay, and, well but it well, but it answers that question because it purports, you know, communism purports to be sunshine and roses and goodness and so forth, but right. behind it is A steel fist of oppression that will put you in a gulag so fast it will make your head spin.
0: Yeah, I I remember reading about, I think it was Mussolini uh, and the Stasi uh, and how they had like this beautiful... Place to live. It was like this place everyone wanted to get into so they could live like the the elites, you know. Except once you got inside, it was terror beyond imagination. Because if you were suddenly right. found out to be not in line, the Stasi would come up through the dumb waiters and suddenly your apartment was vacant, you know. <laughs> so uh people have no clue what it's like to get past the facade. All right. So you, you know, That's you right. talked about a way forward, and in your second op-ed, you were talking about windshield versus rear view. Break that down a little bit for our listeners.
1: Yeah. So I had an experience. It was a couple years after I was an election observer. I was invited to a conference, a quiet, small, very low-key meeting for a weekend outside of Berlin. And there were members of the Russian Duma and Federation Council and some members of the German Bundestag, their legislature, and some other members of Congress. And the idea was to have a discussion you can picture this you I mean have a discussion about foreign policy issues that are significant right and um during the course of of the weekend there was a there was a, a a dinner and i was walking across the property and i saw one of the russian leaders and i thought this is my chance i want to go talk to this guy and i and i'm out of earshot so i can actually have a straight conversation with him and nobody else is listening and so i i come up to him and i said look um Talking about Ukraine, I said Americans care a lot about Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We 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 got a a million Americans who who trace their heritage there. We we care deeply. We're really upset about what happened in Crimea and what happened in the Donbas region. And um, I stipulate that Russians care about what goes on in Ukraine too because they're right next door to you. But I said, let me ask you this: What happens if you completely dominate Ukraine? What happens if you go in and you completely run them over? I said, what do you win? they're going to hate your guts forever they're going right. to fight you forever the world's going to hate you it's going to cost you a fortune it's going to be miserable in terms of treasure and lives and it'll be a disaster and and it will be very very expensive for you what do you win and great he turned to me and he said congressman we will have the satisfaction of knowing that the ukrainians are not more successful than we are what? and i thought to myself what I, I didn't have a category for that. I, who talks like that? Who thinks like that? Who admits that? And he wasn't being ironic. This was yeah. not a joke. This was not like some clever. Oh, I'm going to light this guy's like this guy's candle. He was like, he was not kidding. And what it disclosed to me was a worldview. And upon reflection, I've realized that it was just looming malevolence. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come.
0: Yeah. And.
1: You know, it... the, the the Russians that I was interacting with, Greg, were always looking through the rearview the, the rear mirror. Right. You know what I mean? It was right. always litigating sort of past grievances and, and what some deputy undersecretary of state had said to them 20 years ago. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the Western attitude, we don't think this way. Mm-hmm. We look through the windshield of life. Mm-hmm. We're looking down the highway and we're trying to figure out, OK, we got a problem. Let's negotiate. How can we come up with a solution here? And it was just—it was just breathtaking. And that's what Ukraine is dealing dealing with right now. Because yeah, is it a perfect democracy? Of course not. Right. Is it a democracy? Is it a group of people that wants to affiliate with the West? Clearly, they want to be Western affiliated, and they don't want to get sucked into this larger sort of vortex. Of all this Russian influence, but it was it was a, a conversation I will never forget. With well, Russians.
0: and I, as I read that, and I, I was thinking um, it was almost like he's my little brother, and I'm not letting him be bigger than me. And then I thought, wow, exactly. you would destroy, you know, you'd bring the world to World War III for that. But maybe the, the bigger was,
1: fight, practically.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe the bigger perspective, though. And I think this is something we need to learn from here in America too is it also shows you the power of that ideology. So when that ideology doesn't work, when it destroys everything in its path instead of admitting it's not the, these fundamentals aren't the secular state cannot replace the church the secular state cannot be the solution for all the problems of life that was the ussr that's what they were supposed to be that was east berlin that was all that stuff well it all always comes to decay when i was in uh, berlin you know and i was uh, actually where luther grew and i saw the east german side of things and how dr- how still drab it was and and how depressing it was and how it was radically different by that line of demarcation from West Berlin and from West Germany. But there's comes a point where they're going to hold on to that ideology until they burn everything down. Maybe that's kind of what's going on here. Right.
1: I know exactly what you're describing. When we were when I was a little kid, we went uh, as a family and we went over into East Berlin for a day mm-hmm. and um, it was like walking from a color movie into right. a black and white movie. And exactly. I was picking that up. I'm eight years old and I'm picking that up right. and and just the 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 destructive nature of it over time and and just the heartache of it. And now it, it becomes um, it changes it, it morphs, it shifts but it's the same it, it's the same it it's power it's sin it is aggression and it is oppression
0: yeah, flowers and it's meant on...
1: to it's meant to put people down um you know whereas w- what what you're talking about uh, every day is it's the gospel it's the gift it's 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 supernatural it is yeah. life giving and there's buoyancy and it is an invitation and this by contrast is so dark
0: well, and it's liberty, you know, so you know, we always talk about there are two aspects to liberty. There's the temporal liberties that even sinners have in this world that God still gives us. And and unfortunately, that's the liberty to even destroy ourselves in a lot of ways. And then there's the liberty that comes because of what he has done for us in Christ. Absolutely. And they're both so vital. And America actually understands the tension between those liberties, but it also understands its preciousness. The thing I want to talk about learning now is now how do we learn from the Ukrainians Willingness to stand up to this. And whether we support that or whether we jump in on all that, that's foreign policy stuff that may be beyond my ability to work through that with you today. But I do think we need to learn from them as we support them. And that is, they understand what they're fighting for. Why are our kids so enamored with socialism, communism, and all these things if we're now looking at Putin? and 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 seeing all the things that putin and stalin and mussolini and mao all brought to the world why are we saying and that's something we need to bring here i guess that's my that's my first thing and then i want to know what can we learn from their patriotism and then how can we help
1: there's a little bit of shiny objectism here in other words there's uh things that are described as a bumper sticker equality fairness and so forth those are all nice on the surface but then to go deep and understand under what those concepts mean they've got to they, we've got to make sure that they're well defended and, and that right. the, the the left doesn't steal that language basically okay. and so I think that there's um, you know it, it's incumbent upon one generation to teach the next remember Ronald Reagan said it freedom is only a generation away from from being lost that this is a teaching moment this is a moment where there is bold faced aggression that mm-hmm. is filled with lies and nonsense, and that is what Putin is doing. And you've got a group of people that we it's easy to relate to the Ukrainians. You look at their cities before the war and it's like, I don't know, hey, that that, that that's a place I could be walking around and and people can relate to that. And right. and I think that what we what we do and what we see is people that are saying, no, you know, when when Vladimir Zelensky the president of ukraine was asked by the state department if he wanted to get out of town he said i need ammunition i don't need a ride you know what <laughs> yeah, i mean it's like yeah. what, what are you talking about i'm we're staying here um i i, I was able to meet the the mayor of kiev um let big boxer you know yeah Let's man go. i love those guys came in, to see me and, came in to see me and uh this is 2018 he comes to my <laughs> office Big guy, he's like, huge, <laughs> charming, funny, really, really great. Yeah. And what's so interesting is, you know, he and his brother are multi-millionaires. They could be living in San tropez They could be living right. anywhere they want. But those guys, those brothers are geared up and ready for the defense, actively defending Kiev. And I and I just think there's heroes among us.
0: Yeah, aspirational. I mean, I, I think not only these guys were the best boxers in the world. They're some of the brightest human beings in the world. And then they were willing to go back to their neighborhood and defend the freedoms of all people. That's pretty impressive stuff. And that's stuff to learn from here back in, in America that not, like you said, not only are these freedoms to be cherished, but you've got to actually defend these things. Cause I, let me just say, see if I can put it this way. We talk about equality of access here and then freedom to live. Uh, You know, virtuous lives, obviously, but no guarantee of the outcome. That's what liberty is. Liberty and security are always in inverse relationships. That's America. That's Ukraine versus equity, which is Russia, which is equality of outcomes. But then the state determines everything and takes all your freedoms and your choices and all those things away and says, this is what you will do. And this is what you will do. That's what's on display here. But sometimes the philosophically, I say to people, but your philo- philosophy kind of aligns with Russia. And, and maybe you ought to step back from that and see what you're really thinking. Uh, is that something so we I, can I, learn? I hear you. A
1: lot. I, listen, I understand the part of this that's making you crazy and the inconsistency. <laughs> and, you, you know, you look at you look at Joe Biden, who did a terrible job in Afghanistan and that was basically an invitation for Putin to, to move and to be aggressive and, and all of those things. So you just got to stipulate that that happened. All right. Now that happened. Now, Mm -hmm. if we're able, notwithstanding that to say we know who the good guys are and we know who the the bad guy is and let's, let's all side with the good guys and let's make sure that they're well equipped and, and supported in, in every conceivable way. There's an urgency to this that's just breathtaking. As yeah, well. and I, and
0: I think I think you're right that th- that's why the American people are, are standing up. For Ukraine. That's why we want to support Ukraine. That's why we want to defend liberty, especially because they want to defend it. They want to defend their own liberty, and they're just asking for our help. And to that, we all can rise up. And I think that's what's exciting. And and I think, like I said, like you were just talking about with Klitschko and those guys, we can learn from this. You know, even back home, we need to, we need to eschew, we need to jettison this equity stuff, because this, the other side of that is that's the Putin stuff. You know, that's the stuff we are now all seeing. On display as the thing we should think is wrong and destructive and malevolent. It's hiding behind flowery language. It's hiding behind flowery concepts, but it's tyrannical in in practice. And it's proven that for the last at least hundred years. Okay, yeah, and I that's think, right. And go ahead.
1: It's interesting because something that you said just prompted a thought, and that was when when you offer to help someone in your own life and. They're kind of like so-so on your help or they're not taking your advice or whatever. Then you're like, hey, you know what? I, I can't want something more than you want it. Right. But if somebody says, oh, thank you for your help. I'm going to do exactly what what you've suggested. And they're striving and they're working for it. Then what a joy to help them. You know what exactly.
0: I mean? Exactly. Like yeah. what
1: an honor to help them. Right. And so that's how I think. That's what I think is part of what's resonating with a lot of people in the West with what they see happening in
0: Ukraine. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Gregory Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Alert with Dr. Gregory Seltz, executive director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty.